The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Filled week here on the Brandon Peters Show. Today features a discussion on the 1970 Russ Meyer classic Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And joining me for that is a writer who has contributed to such publications as Fangoria, Bloody Disgusting, Screen Queens, and We Are Horror. She's also one of the hosts of the Horror in Session podcast, Raina Cervantes. Hi, hi, hello. Welcome. Happy to have you on here. Yeah, happy to guest on here. It's always a pleasure being able to break away from my own junk that I do. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's always different when you come out here like, oh, I have to answer the questions now. I have to. Yeah, yes. I have to do the homework. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and a heck of a pick that we're going to talk about uh, later. I was really excited when you brought that to the table. So let's let's let my listeners get to know you a bit since you know I mentioned asking the questions and stuff but you're very esteemed in the world of horror as that's you know I predominantly come from myself and I always like with the horror people my listeners probably get sick of me asking but like I love hearing the story of like when did it click with you or what was the genesis of your love for horror what was the first thing that you're like I need more of this or my world is now consumed I was like 7 years old and my parents had introduced me to the 1978 Halloween. Awesome. That was legitimately like a, my first horror movie. Wow. And yeah. They bought a VHS copy. They're like, listen, we want to show you this movie. We want you to know it's 100% fake. None of it happened. None of it can happen. Little did I know it could. <laughs> but uh, But they were just like, we just want you to know that this movie is make-believe. And so I watched it and fell in love with that movie. We lived up the street from not only a blockbuster video, but a Hollywood video as well, which is ironic considering the discourse this week around both those video stores. Mm -hmm. And I would go each week. And from then on, after Halloween, I watched like the first Friday the 13th. And then my father would take me to blockbuster every week and I'd rent all the sequels in order. So it's, it's rare because like, I hear people talk about like, oh, well, when I got into it, I just watched whatever was like new at the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas me, it was like I had that experience of going and watching every single like entry in order. So I think that it was also just quality time with um, my father because he loves like 80 slasher movies. Yeah. And then I really got super into it when uh, my grandmother took me to see Freddy versus Jason in theaters. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And just seeing like that, I didn't have to wait like 20 years like most people. I had to wait like a couple weeks or a couple months, like maybe like three years max. And I knew like from then on, like I was just hooked on horror as a genre and was just something I knew I loved. Gotcha. Well, I'm happy to hear my favorite film of all time was the first one, the one that gotcha through oh. there. I'm <laughs> I mean I mean it's it's a cliched answer. It's like Oh mm-hmm. yeah, that's the one that got me into it. But every time you watch that movie, you're just like, "Oh yeah, fuck, it is that good." 
Yeah, yeah, no, it it becomes an important piece of people's lives, like crazy. That mm-hmm. I mean, Friday the Thirteenth does too, and some of the and the other ones as well. But yeah, I didn't I didn't get to start with that one personally. I had a mine was I think it was like a Friday the Thirteenth, a new beginning, on like the WGN network late at night. My dad was just like, Oof. you know what, fine, just watch the rest of it. It was like in the middle of it and everything, and I was like, uh-huh. what is it? Like I did, I had no understanding of what was going on. <laughs> You're like, huh? It's Jason's yeah. a paramedic. Yeah. And then later, years later, <laughs> I'd catch him on uh, USA Up All Night would run mm-hmm. Friday the 13th marathons. And then they did mm-hmm. Elm Street. But like my video store, I wasn't lucky. Like they they would have uh, missing puzzle pieces of sequels. Like I'd have to go to one video store to, to see these. And then if I wanted, I got like one, two, three. Ah, oh, where's four? Mm-hmm. Got to find another video store with four. Like it was really, it was really weird. And, they, and back, back then they didn't have four and six on television all the time. So... There's all there's I, that. I feel eternally grateful that I grew up in Southern California, like in a pretty populated area that the yeah. video stores were stocked. Oh on yeah, they were they stuff. were stocked. Yeah. Oh gosh. Even the blockbusters were better than what like because I I always tell people about when I lived there I used to go to the Sunset Blockbuster that was two stories and I'd always because I could drive by where Lori and Annie babysat every time when I went to go. Oh yeah, that's like right there, huh? Yeah, yeah. I used to drive yeah. by. Just, uh, that's how nutty i was for halloween when I was out there. It's, hey that's a perfectly fine one to be nutty about i owned it i owned two vhs copies growing up i owned mm-hmm. uh i owned the standard one with the 3d cover i don't know if you ever saw that okay. release mm-hmm. where it would like shift from the pumpkin logo into an image of michael yes and then i owned uh the extended cut where it has all the tv edits right yes yes yeah and that one yeah. went out of print was expensive for a while Mm-hmm. And that's that's the VHS I don't have anymore, and I'm just kind of like, like fuck, that movie's out of print now. I wish I had that. <laughs> I, I had the so I had the one with the blockbuster logo. Mm-hmm. I had the shell with case. the red spine, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I had that one. I had the the shell case uh, widescreen uh, mm-hmm. VHS, and I had the two orange tape. VHS that had bonus features. So, oh, and it, and, uh, uh, the Anchor Bay one, correct? The Anchor Bay one. Yes, yes, I had that. And that one, dummy me, wound up deciding it wound up in the Amoeba in Hollywood, its old location, because I understand it moved now. Um, yeah. It wound up there when I lived there because of space and mm-hmm. probably needing money for something. I don't know, but it wound up there. So, uh, my copy is eternally there. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm like part of the mindset now that whenever I buy like a horror movie, like I'm in like a boutique or special release, I'm like, hang on to that shit. It's going to go out of print. <laughs> right. No, and it does still. It, it, does it still. genuinely, it, it's, it's fucking funny. Like little tangent. I had bought like from beyond the Scream Factory release this summer. Mm-hmm. I bought it for like $14. I was just like, I want to own this movie right. a week later out of print. It's like $80. And I was like, that was quick. Like, yeah, I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the the one of the funniest things is like like Godzilla versus Biollante. That that one like went out of print, and it was like a five dollar bin movie forever. Yeah. And now it's like I don't even want to look up the price. All those all those Toho releases, of, especially mm-hmm. of the Showa era before Criterion had done the box set, were mm-hmm. like notoriously out of print. And there were rumors of the Criterion one, but mm-hmm. I had a source like on the inside that was like, no, that's a for sure thing. So I went to the record store and like sold all my old DVDs for Smart like move. 120 bucks. I'm like, I'm fine with letting them go. 
I've done I've done some things like that too, where I just like oh there I, I I know of things happening. I'm like, yeah, pop that on there for yeah. Some still surprise me because I had hung on to that Friday the Thirteenth box set for like the Warner Brothers like oh, Steelbook yeah, yeah. Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I had hung on to that, going like I don't think that's ever going to get re-released. And then Scream Factory came in clutch, so. Yeah, I I still held on to that because it was early in my days of Blu-ray reviewing, and I pushed I s- really hard to get a contact and get that one. So I'm like, I feel guilty tossing that. I I, I kept it because it's got a lot of physical goodies in it. Oh yeah, it's got I'll... the patch and the, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. I I had bought it at Amoeba used, and it had everything in it, even the digital copies. Oh. I was genuinely surprised. I it, I was all anti-digital at the time, so I was like. Psh- with my oh, digital yeah. copy and then i'm like oh you know what i could have probably see I, I pop on the voodoo app and it's like oh you own over 1200 movies on here and i'm like i'm i'm fine i own the physicals they're in my right. bedroom i just don't have to get up and swap discs now right yeah th- i like him as a nice backup or option um mm-hmm. i never saw them as that before i was like oh i gotta fight hard and that's and i realized oh i'm the niche crowd yeah it's- yeah <laughs> I, I know we got way out there. We did, but it's a fun co- people love okay, so like I got a you know, people love hearing me talk about the the Blu-ray, the home. So this is right <laughs> perfect up the alley. But speed of, like I here's a segue. I write about Blu-rays. You write <laughs> about horror and stuff. So um what was your first like big like break as a like how did you get started as a writer and when did you feel like you hit somewhere with it? So I had started pitching screen queens which is a female focused uh film website and i just started throwing them pitches about horror movies and whatnot eventually i start i started to think that i was gonna have to branch out eventually it was always my dream to always to write for sites like fango and bloody disgusting Mm -hmm. so i made that like a goal of mine so gaily dreadful a queer horror focused website every year runs an LGBT like fundraiser. Mm-hmm. So I threw a pitch out there. He published a piece I did on sleepaway camp and that one got real good reception. Later on, one of my pieces that I wrote for screen Queens on assassination nation got featured on Fangoria plus where they were featuring like pieces from other websites. And from there they just started coming rolling in. Um, I got in touch with sci-fi fangirls and wrote for them for a little bit. And then eventually I got an offer to write a piece for bloody disgusting and kind of stuck around there ever since and just kind of consistently have been pushing work out with them because they're such a fantastic team that i love Mm -hmm. and kind of just went like damn like in one year i really hit my goal of like where i wanted to be as a writer yeah i mean obviously i have new goals but those initial goals have been like set and just kind of shattered that i'm like well shit now i gotta think of where to even go from here now (laughs) But yeah, that's that's how I kind of got into writing. And I figured, I didn't figure, I'd learned that there is a desire to hear voices like mine talk mm-hmm. about these quote unquote like trash movies that like the mainstream like media like hates. Like um, I feel like my niche with Bloody Disgusting is I write about like lesser known films. Like around the holidays, I had a piece go up where uh, I focused on Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Mm-hmm. And oh, then, yeah. uh, and then recently, I wrote about the Spanish language version of Dracula from the 1930s. I read that. That's I remember that piece. That was a good, really good piece. Oh, thank you for reading that. <laughs> <laughs> so I always want to be not the source of negativity online. 
or people going like this movie sucks or anything. It's like, no, I want to champion these like lesser known movies and have them not be forgotten to time because I can't tell you how many comments on that silent night, deadly night four piece there were that were like, Oh, I didn't even know they got to number four. They got to five, dude. Yeah. I was like, I got (laughs) news for you. (laughs) Yeah. There's a fifth one as well. (laughs) They they really need to get those three through five on a Blu-ray and some people in the back to talk to about them. That'd be. Yeah. Because for that piece, I had to seek those out. And as far as I can tell, the only like solid release, not even like a solid release, like a bare bones release is that Lionsgate DVD Mm -hmm. that like is out of print that I randomly found on Best Buy's website for like $12. And it was like, yeah. get it in three days. And I was like, okay. Now, <laughs> yeah, it can, t- it can like, take four. It can take four. But yeah, that price, I'm, yeah. I'm like, it don't got to be that quick as long as it gets to me. But from what I understand on Tubi, mm-hmm. there are HD transfers of four and five randomly. So someone's working on it. So somebody has it. I know the rights have lapsed. When I talked to Justin Beam a while back, like he had mentioned that, you know, he got put in charge of finding a new home, helping find a new home. And they went to shout factory, of course, for the screen factory release for one and two. Uh, so Lionsgate's letting those rights just lapse. So somebody, maybe vinegar syndrome, pick them up or something. I, w- I would love for vinegar syndrome to like snatch those rights up and mm-hmm. just like release like a box set of three to five. Yeah. That's what I mean. People, they would. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they did that with the lesser known, like Amity. Amity sequels. Yeah. Yeah. which is like one of my favorite releases of all time. It's a great release. I, it's about time. I grew up with that one. That oh, was, same, I, same. For, the, for me, I, I, it was the new release horror movie at the video store. I was like, oh, it's it. like once I, once I saw like that those ones were getting re-released and 1992 mm-hmm. was getting like a new yep. HD transfer, I was like, done, done, take it, take it. <laughs> yes. It don't even got to have special features just as long as it's in oh. like HD and everything. Yeah, I. oh gosh, I love this. And I love that that's your your aim is those released because while you know they don't have big audiences they do have audiences and you are putting up not to like grandiose you're writing and stuff but you're putting a piece of history there so that when people search eventually find those and they're going to want to read something about them i mean the history of looking up stuff about marvel movies is going to be like oh that's a lot of people but when you look up those you're going to be like- popular source like my Bella Lugosi Dracula piece, people are like, I didn't even know this existed. Where can I watch it? And I'm like, it's on the special features on your Blu-ray. Be like, folks, it has been known for. <laughs> like, shh, like you own a copy and you don't even know it. <laughs> and 90 copies of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. If you own a. Oh my God. In that box set. I've had them since D I've had them on DVD. I even bought that single Blu-ray of that one. Like I have uh-huh. way too many copies in my household of Abbott and Costello and Frankenstein. Like, like how many copies is in that box set? Like two or three? It's in the it, Frankenstein and Dracula section. The only one that doesn't have it is like the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Creature doesn't have it. Yeah, I want to say, yeah. Yeah, it's all over. I'm but, like, why did they put doubles of this disc in here? It's because they were they're, 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 it was a way that they didn't have to, they could just make a box set that has all the individual releases collected and the individual. Yeah, just the legacy collections just thrown into one sleeve. But I'm glad they all came out. Is there any piece that you're like most proud of writing or getting out there that's like a seminal piece of yours that you've written? Probably the, the latest like Dracula one on the mm-hmm. Spanish language version. That one was really hard for me to write initially because it was going to be more of like a like a research piece on mm-hmm. it. And 
kind of towards the end, I was just like, no, I'm going to get personal with it. I'm going to write why this movie means a lot to me and why I think people should check it out despite the other version existing. Cause I had wrote about how my Spanish speaking grandfather who didn't speak like a lick of English, like that was like kind of a way for me and him to bond was watching that movie. Mm-hmm. So it, it was nice. And I love that. Like, I love when publications, like I know it's like rule of thumb, don't get personal, but it's like every personal piece I've written for a publication, they've always emailed me back going like, we love that you got personal with this. Yeah, I think that's a, a change in how writing over since the millennium hit, like that's kind of the change in how critical writing has come. Like if you mm-hmm. don't be afraid to, it used to be, don't be personal in anything. It's generic stuff. But I think people, we read a lot more now, even though people probably don't read books as much, but we daily read. But like, I think the personal touch, like, adds a little bit of character to each piece or making you go back to a certain place every once in a while. As long as it's not like the, you know, diary type writing. If you're writing about mm-hmm. with your personal aside with your grandfather and what that can mean to him, that's where it can mean to, it can reflect, it's uni- It's a universal kind of personal touch rather than just like before um, we start this recipe uh, this morning, I got up and when I was dropping mm-hmm. the kids at school, I thought, hey, Jasmine might go good with this. And I went down to the store. Like, none of that. <laughs> yeah. I th- I think I just wanted people to go, like, I think I just wanted to people, pe- people to see, like, a piece of me in it. Mm-hmm. Like, not my internal monologue, but it's like, oh, like, I get why she loves this movie now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That, that one in particular, I'm very proud of because uh, he's no longer not around anymore, my grandfather. Yeah. So. In my little way, that was like me putting a piece of him out there to live on yes, forever. Tribute, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, it's a great piece. People should check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, while horror's your forte, like I've mm-hmm. been following you on social media for a little while now, and I get the impression you have a pretty well-rounded expertise to offer. Are there any like plans in the future to step outside of that horror area for you at all in your writing or podcasting? And so. When I was writing briefly for Sci-Fi Fangirls, I was not writing about horror movies per se. Mm-hmm. I wrote about horror comics and horror video games. Right. So that was going to be my area that I was going to branch out more into mm-hmm. to go like, yo, there's a lot of cool shit out there. You just got to really look for it. I, I'd like to get back into games writing eventually. Mm-hmm. I know right now there's like a severe drought in gaming. But I'd like to get back to it eventually. I mean, I, I bought a PS5 so that I could oh. write about games. And then it's like fangirl shuddered. And I was like, well, that there goes that. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And lastly, uh, you have you have a podcast as well, Horror in Session. Do you want to share with people rather than have me poorly describe it? What it yeah. So Horror in Session is basically a classroom type podcast where I sit down with my co-host who's completely new to the horror genre like had seen like one movie before we started the podcast and i sit down with her every week and i essentially just assign her a movie and we watch it and we discuss it the goal of it is is to be like as little gatekeepy as possible Mm -hmm. i know when she told me she was getting into horror it was like intimidating she's like people get like mad when you haven't seen like certain stuff and i'm like yeah, that's not right. So I wanted to create this podcast where not only newbies could listen, but also like experts. 
because not only are you getting like her perspective on a movie that she has like zero nostalgia for, Mm -hmm. you're also getting my take on it and a guest take. So pretty much like sometimes like I'll show her like a classic in the horror genre. I'm like, yeah, this movie's so good. It's so well regarded in the horror community. And she's just like, yeah, I've never really heard it. And nobody outside the horror community talks about it. Oh, (laughs) and I'm like, it's a humbling experience. (laughs) That's gotta be crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, but, but it's nice to have like you can give her like context without being gatekeeping, and she can give you a like fresh take. Like that's a nice. I see it. There. I, I see it kind of less as like teaching her and more of like guiding her through the right. world of horror. Yeah. Um, currently, right now, we're doing a huge series on like Universal monsters, so it's it's fun to show somebody who hasn't seen all these 1930s and 40s horror movies like for the first time. Because they're a lot of fun. Oh, they're so much fun. It's like, yeah, definitely so, a great. Is she enjoying them so far? Or? Oh, she she's loving them. Kind of our whole motif is based on it. Like our logo is based on like classic horror mm-hmm. film. And like our intro music is Swan Lake from the beginning of Dracula. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're the beginning of Dracula. And I think it's the beginning of one of them. There's one thing they use on a couple of them. Like you guys, that's all you guys had laying around. Uh, it's all they have laying around because yeah. it was public domain. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, Universal didn't have to pay for it, so that they was did. A top 40 hit right then, though. So, hey, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. People were probably hearing that on the radio and just yeah. breaking into dance, going like, oh, the Swan Lake track. <laughs> Hand no. me my Cavassier, Janice. Let's go and dance. Yeah. yeah. But oh. but that's kind of my goal and intent with Horror in Session. It's like, it's it's a welcoming space. And I wanted to see more of that in horror. When you get uh, to the social media areas, it's there's it's I, I, I like to think there's majority good people and just mm-hmm. a lot of really loud assholes. But it's it's still dangerous. It still sucks to see. It's still some of the greatest and worst people I've met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and some of them you see in person, not like that. Like, why do you become this? person like people see me in person they're like you read about horror movies and i'm like like you don't uh because i guess i i guess i just don't don't dress it like i'm wearing like a birds of prey shirt right now there you go (laughs) it's always fun to bring new people in i always think that horror needs new perspectives otherwise it's just it's just a fucking echo chamber and who likes an echo chamber no no that's true and, and yeah and twitter can become that too since you curate all your people you'd be like yeah we all agree on this right like, yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. everybody loves this movie all the time everyone gets along perfect and then somebody's like oh i wasn't a fan of it and it's like crucify them <laughs> take them out delete your account yeah, yeah. oh yeah such a oh my god i've gotten into spats with like some of my favorite mutuals online over the the 2019 child's play and it's like i'm like you know it's great that we all don't agree all the time (laughs) yeah you shouldn't have to and you shouldn't have to end friendships because of films Mm -hmm. exactly yeah which i noticed i I noticed in one of your bios that one of your favorite films of all time is the last jedi Mm -hmm. i'm sure that goes well with people but i love that because i love that movie Oh yeah! Continue to sing it praises here. I mean, you can I all mean, hate me. I mean, another thing people don't know about me, which is probably why they don't know I write about horror, is that like I am huge into Star Wars. Like, 
for the longest time in my living room, I had framed theatrical posters of like oh, the nice. new trilogy and like framed and like wall mounted lightsabers of like Ray and Kylo Ren. And they're like, wait a minute, you like Star Wars? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but you know, the way people talk about it online makes it's... me not want to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> I, I have my own love and personal relations with Star Wars. I guess it was because my taste does not line up to some people. It does line up to people's and then... I don't know, like, uh, yeah, like when I came out last year, I was like, oh my god, they did it! I got to see in my lifetime one that was really, and then I was like, wait, wait, people didn't li- they didn't like it, or who oh, didn't li- I was it like, it? It was wild seeing the Last Jedi in theaters, and it's like, oh my god, I was like, that movie was ridiculously good. I was like, mm-hmm. might be one of the best Star Wars. Walked out, saw the audience score on my phone, and went, oh my god. Yeah, I went to a midnight screen. I was like, I love it, and then I heard all this, and I went like the next. Like Saturday after, because mm-hmm. I think it came out on Wednesday, something like that. And mm-hmm. I go the Saturday after. I'm like, okay, well, I, maybe it was opening night hype or something. Whatever, I'll go see it. I'm like, actually, I think I love this movie more the second time I saw it. I, I like, think I saw that movie. Like for full disclosure, that is the movie I've seen in theaters the most times. I think oh, wow. I've seen it like nine times in theaters. Oh wow. I saw it in every single format available. I even went to the Chinese theater in LA where mm-hmm. they were projecting it on like that experimental IMAX 2D laser projection. Oh, okay. I even almost took a trip like up north to Northern California to see mm-hmm. it projected on film. Uh, I saw 70 mil. We have a, our, our state museum has one of the few 70 millimeter IMAXs uh, mm-hmm. here. And I, I, that was my second time I saw it was on that. The first time oh, wow. I saw it was Dolby Atmos theater. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah, Dolby Atmos Theater was a, and then um, I took, I, I saw a uh, different kind of, uh, I can't remember the third time I took my, I was like, my daughter was in preschool at the time, and I was working from home, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a lunch break, let's go see The Last Jedi, you haven't seen it in the theater yet, so took her, we packed a lunch, we went and watched, it was a nice little memory, but. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, I kept seeing it, I, and one of my best pieces I ever wrote was The Last Jedi, um, I, I got so much from that movie, just and yeah such a yeah such a great movie it's actually where i got my chosen name from <laughs> oh okay there you go oh yeah yeah there you go yeah, Makes sense. yeah Makes a lot sense. of people a lot of people don't know that i mean that's awesome i've been a fan of that particular character since like force awakens though, so recently 20th century fox had two great ideas to make a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and to get Russ Meyer to write, produce, and direct it. This is Russ Meyer, 240 pounds of creative energy. For years, he's been making very moving pictures for very little money. Yet there was something about his films, like The Moral Mr. Tease and Vixen, that sparked the public's imagination. That something was Maya's infallible eye for picking beautiful women. Look on up, look on up, at the bottom. Look on down, 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 This time they've really gone beyond the Valley of the Dolls, with Russ Meyer supplying a dazzling selection of traveling companions and brand new stars. Dolly Reed as Kelly, the singer. Cynthia Myers as Casey, the swinger. 
Marsha McBroom as Pet, the soul sister. Edie Williams as Ashley, the superstar. Erica Gavin as Roxanne, the sensualist. And Phyllis Davis as Susan, the insider. A sweet talking old cook candy man. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls has all the elements drama, love, mystery, music. But the most important element is the guy who put it all together, Russ Meyer. This is not a sequel, there has never been anything like it. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is directed by Russ Meyer, written by Roger Ebert, starring Dolly Reed, Cynthia Myers, Marsha McBroom, John Lazar, Michael Blodgett, David Gurian, Ashley St. Ives, and Phyllis Davis. It's about three girls who come to Hollywood to make it big, but find only sex, drugs, and sleaze. So, Raina, why Beyond the Valley of Dolls to the show? Because it's the true and total definitive definition of camp. I also like showing people this movie because I feel like it shows a big side of Roger Ebert that not many people got to see or know about. Right. Definitely. That's what, I mean, when I first saw it, it was because I had seen his name attached. I'm like, what, what he wrote a movie? Like we Mm -hmm. used to not have this information as easily accessible as before. So this was kind of like a trivia bit. Now it's kind of, with him but mm-hmm. um had you seen the valley of the dolls beforehand or at all so i own both of them on criterion of course yeah and valley of the dolls is still in its shrink wrap i haven't seen it you haven't seen it so i i watched it for the first time for that like i had never seen valley i've seen beyond but i'd never seen valley of the dolls mm-hmm. and this while it has to legally deny being attached to that movie at the beginning, they very much are thematic sequels, though mm-hmm. one is camp, the other accidentally camp. camp. Like One was intended <laughs> to be a satire and a comedy, the other mm-hmm. did not. And it's interesting in its own right. It's not as good as this movie at all, but mm-hmm. it's... That's it, what I heard, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, so it's basically if you want to see a dolls movie, you pick this one. Like, don't I mean, if you have only interest in that one, then you don't really need to go back to Valley of the Dolls. So I had bought all, I had bought both of them with their Criterion releases. That Mm -hmm. was also another big reason I picked this for your show, since the whole big focus on home media, Mm -hmm. because uh, this this Criterion release of this particular one is fucking fantastic. Yeah, probably like one of their best releases, I think. So I had bought both of them and like I had heard people like talk nonstop about Beyond mm-hmm. and I got kind of baked out of my gorge uh, <laughs> and started watching it. And let me tell you, my eyes were opened by the end, by the time the end credits rolled. <laughs> right. And there was a there's a person that was interviewed talking about someone who like talked to somebody who tripped watching it in the theater. And they're like, when your head came off, it rolled like right in my lap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it it's it's pretty great because I feel like most movies try to be camp, mm-hmm. b- but are not right. Um, and this one is like genuinely camp without trying. Yeah, um, I think like people like look at Russ Meyer's name and expect like just kind of like a cheap like skin flick because mm-hmm. it's kind of what he was known for at the right. time. 
and the movie is that but it also carries this art artistic merit and weight along with it because mm-hmm. yeah i could talk i could sit here and talk about how like it's camp like all day but it's also just a genuinely good movie it's very well made it's mm-hmm. shot listen the story it don't matter but it's still got a good one <laughs> right it plays like a parody of itself almost yeah a really smart one yeah and i think a lot of the times when it comes to like something strongly satirical mm-hmm. many of the first generation audiences it goes over their head and they're like oh it's mm-hmm. just a bad movie it's like no 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 and it's not somebody looking back and going well we intended it to be bad no it was always supposed to be and meyer is sort of brilliant in the fact that, or he knows the right thing of everybody needs to play this like Shakespeare. Like that's how we get through this. Nobody winks, but it's said that the cast thought they were doing something serious, but later on then they're like, Oh yeah, we, we knew it was a joke, but I, I don't see that in their performances. They, they are very genuine mm-hmm. uh, with how they are. So either they're just brilliant performers, which we know they were not at the t- Considering, I'm not dissing them just at the time they were Playboy Playmates and just, you look at the credits for all these people, they don't have many. But It, it, it plays a lot like a non-horror version of Scream, in a way. Okay, yeah. That like, you're getting this cast of like, nobodies at the mm-hmm. time, and just kind of throwing them into the satire that at the time people are like, is this satire or is this just a bad movie? Right. And then, like you said, like the generations later on look at it and it's like, Oh no, this is a smart as fuck satire. It's a great midnight movie. Like mm-hmm. definitely pop on late at night. I think the the biggest star in it's like what Charles Napier who shows mm-hmm. up towards the end. Like that's the only guy you've probably seen in a lot of other movies. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a good, it's, it's a great group movie. Oh yeah. It's like, a hangout movie. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's not one where you have to be like consistently like paying attention to the story. It almost plays like set piece after set piece. Right. Yeah, and definitely. It's super smart. It's also like a parody of the Sharon Tate murder. And it was like yeah. one year after it happened. Right. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they're like, they, and, and she was in the first one. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a controversial thing. Like the, it, the end was inspired by the Manson murders. But I don't think it was meant to be devious at that. It was just of the time they kind of. I think it was like trying to poke fun at the culture surrounding it. Like mm-hmm. of like, oh, like you see you see this movie and you totally see the inspirations that got carried over into something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Right. And it's like it's like you watch them back to back and you're like, I get it. I get it now. <laughs> And to me, that's what has kind of the lasting power. It's just, it's, it's astounding that it got made. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's weird how more normal this movie would be for when it came out than it would be today. Today, it'd be like, oh my gosh, look at this extreme thing. And back then, mm-hmm. with like Meyer had done that Vixen movie, which was mm-hmm. like far more sexual than this. And I think people would be more worried about the, the sexual nature of this movie uh, than, the violence, which the violence was the big deal back then. Mm-hmm. There wasn't so much the sexual stuff. Uh, it's it's also like weirdly like the oldest like NC seventeen rated film. Like it was it's still X rated when it came out, and they had yeah, change, they changed it to NC seventeen. But yeah, yeah, like still NC seventeen. Like on the back of the Criterion like Blu Ray, it says NC seventeen, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wait, what? This never got like resubmitted. Yeah, it's tame. It's really, yeah, I mean, it's really tame to what I mean compared to what we have now. 
Yeah, it's not like a hard art. I mean, the violence does get pretty wild at the end, though. <laughs> right, yeah. It does, yeah, it gets... I mean, there's definitely the, the beheading, stabbing the guy at the beach, gunshot in the mouth, in the head. Mm-hmm. That poor girl. Like, oh, my yeah. gosh. Like, and it oh just, like, kind of comes out of nowhere, too. Yeah. it. And I wonder, like, so, like, I don't know. Ebert in the 80s gets a bit conservative in his values and stuff. And I'm wondering if because she's the character that had an abortion, he was okay to do that with her in the script. But I just, I don't know. Because I'm thinking this is probably 1969 ebert writing this and then mm. in the 80s i just remember him with all the horror movies and how he in in the sex comedies how he would be very prude nun-like with those with his reviews and stuff and then here you have a woman in the film has an abortion uh, enters a lesbian relationship and then she she gets killed she doesn't make it through the rest mm. of the friends do they have it's see that's an interesting take because uh eber even horror wise notoriously loved satire like uh he he liked uh, motel hell i mm-hmm. saw somebody posting about the other day so a part of me thinks like um he was very well aware yeah. of what he was putting together in this as far as as the conservativeness comes mm-hmm. it's probably there but he probably didn't realize he was putting it there possibly, possibly like yeah. like it was just like it's just like, you know, when you like when you write something, like write down like personal thoughts mm-hmm. and then somebody else takes a gander at it and they're like, oh, you wrote it like this because you feel this way. And it's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. But just yeah, like when people are like, oh, I hate when things get political. I'm like, everything's political because you live in it and you write your experience. Exactly. It influences anything. But I don't want to tack that on Ebert because I'm talking about the, you know, I just want to bring it up because it's interesting because the older Ebert and the younger Ebert are. I've grown up. You're two different people. You're not exactly who you were back then. Like, mm-hmm. so he might have just shits and giggles. That was who was in the house. So she got shot, or I have to kill one of the friends. She winds up over here. It may be that simple. But uh, thinking of how his views were in the '80s, like I wonder if it was there a hair too. But I don't know. the 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 film is free with its sexuality enough that I wouldn't think it'd come down on that conservative mindset but yeah uh, yeah it's 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 hard to look at this movie and like kind of think anything conservative but that's an it's super interesting read that you brought up that mm-hmm. that i don't feel like most people do bring up um yeah. I, I, I look for places where it might have been talked about because you know like john carpenter deborah hill they didn't write like oh the virgin went you know the virgin went they just wrote a horror movie and that's the 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 mousy girl wasn't expected to survive, so she was the one who survived. I mean, she was also <laughs> Janet Lee's daughter, so that was also a little comic thing. Like, oh, maybe they bump her off if you know what's going on. We might make mm-hmm. you think she's the girl early on and bump her off so she could go at any time. If you watch mm-hmm. Halloween, aside from a couple Laureate home scenes between the babysitting, it's Annie's movie just as much as hers until Annie's gone. So not to take over to Halloween, but just that I don't think they... Ebert might not have been thinking that deep with this. So, mm-hmm. but I, I do think it's interesting to maybe broach, but it's, it's interesting that like, despite them distancing themselves from the original, like Valley of the dolls, mm-hmm. because legally they had to, that like, it's so like associated with it. Right. Like, like when criterion released them, they released them together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, like and they're thematically same the same. I mean, they, they picked out, they they saw the movie and they go okay well 
here's what makes it. So we'll just do something like that. And it really is sequel-ish to it. Uh, one's about movie stardom. The other's about music and... <laughs> music and debauchery. Music and debauchery. The the Carry Nations, which mm-hmm. uh, being a Doctor Who fan, I kept uh, Terry Nation, the guy who created the Daleks. So I was like, oh. the Terry Nations, Carry Nations, Carry Nations, Terry. I was like, wow, it's I, so I, close. I will say this movie has some banging music. <laughs> it, it has some banging music. Yeah, the, uh, it is like um, the Strawberry. Um, what's her name? Uh, the band in it, the Carrie Nations music. Mm-hmm. Um, it really works. It really is its own character at times. And this is kind of a musical as well. The 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 uh, secret, you know, secret musical because musical the- music does. <laughs> Yeah, like full blown like musical numbers. It's like, oh, they're gonna bust into this like three minute song and montage. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and and it's funny, like the the montages more clever than you'd think because you say, oh, this psychedelia montage. Uh, as Ebert pointed out on his commentary, there's the first one uh, where the band uh, first plays as the, the Carry Nations, and there's the two guys on either side of the screen, and there's progress and time and characterization told through them because the one guy's uh, Z-Man keeps looking over at Harris and Harris is just kind of like jamming the music and trying to like not pay attention to him and these guys were shot differently so Meyer put this together in the editor room brilliantly and mm-hmm. there's a point where they lock eyes mm-hmm. and then Harris turns around and he's defeated like in his face and realize, and then we cut to the scene of them playing in that little club. And that's where she kind of breaks up with him. He goes home with a St. Ives girl. Someone watching it might not pick up on that. And if you watched it in four by three VHS, those guys would have been cut out of the mm-hmm. screen, but it's, or you wouldn't have seen them lock eyes together. Cause you could not have put that together. Um, but yeah, a lot of brilliance in that montage. And that's where I feel like a lot of the storytelling like excels in this movie Mm -hmm. is that like, it's not like vague, but it, it gives you just what you need Mm -hmm. and then lets, lets you run away with it almost. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's, it's got, it looks so good too. It's, it's a, I kind of, I considered the look of it psychedelia meets Jalo a bit Mm -hmm. Uh, everything's in focus. Meyer liked to keep stuff in focus. So everything and the color is just top notch. It's really yeah, beautiful he, to just look at. He he was honestly such a brilliant director that like mm-hmm. to hear his name like associated with like smut or like they call whatnot. it smut, but he really knows how to film the female and male bodies. Like it's <laughs> like he he likes boobs above like, all else, but like, he can like all the sex in this movie is done very tastefully. Yeah. Like there's a lot of it, but it's all done like pinpoint precision of like I'm gonna lock on and then just like know exactly where to hit. It's done, yeah. It's done tastefully and centrally, and yeah, like and like all the women just stunners, all of them, just the way they look. <laughs> Who knows if another director filmed them? If they don't, I, I I call this movie to my friends like as a joke. I'm like, this movie is a bisexual nightmare. <laughs> like i'm like show this movie you do like somebody who's bisexual like myself included like their head explodes at one Mm. point (laughs) they do that's one thing i guess they do have the homosexual relationship in it and then cop out of it really quick um which actually that decision to make z-man a woman was like last minute on set apparently 
according mm-hmm. to the bonus features. They that was not in the script, and they they changed it, which I feel like kind of like I I don't know how how you felt about it there, but like I feel like oh, I was like oh, they're really gonna go with a man on man relationship in a 1970 movie. This is, and then they they're like, well, I'm actually I'm a woman, so I don't know if that diffuses it any changes it because it's kind of like a is a is he supposed to be a trans man or something like i go i don't know where it, they were he, to... it's weird because it's vague enough that it's like do you get a trans reading from this or do you get a drag right. me- reading from this mm-hmm. it's done in a way that's like so campy that i don't find it offensive at all right i feel like that was them being like here's how we justify our man-on-man relationship. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't know if it was like kind of copping out, like we, mm-hmm. we had it here, and then not. I was like, I didn't know. And then I, I there's also the maybe Z-Man it was a woman that knew she could only climb if she, at, at that time, being mm-hmm. in some sort of disguise as a man or something like that. Yeah, I, I because, so because many... you look like throughout the movie, and Z-Man's like one of the most powerful people in it. Yeah. Like Z-Man's got all the connections, all the parties, all the access yeah. to stuff. So gets her books, gigs, get them records, all but that. But it's stuff. like, but it's like if people knew that Z-Man was a woman, the way women tr- are treated in this movie, mm-hmm. would Z-Man have access to all that stuff? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's where you kind of get into like the gender politics of everything. And then that's when you start like diving down the rabbit hole of like, wait a minute, this movie might be onto something. This movie's kind of smart. <laughs> And yeah. funny and all yeah and campy and yeah, yeah it's it, and well shot ed- and the editing is a mm-hmm. two to go with a whiplash almost like it's mm-hmm. fast cuts like ahead of its time fast cuts and sometimes it's, I I think it struggles with its geography because of the fast cuts but I always uh, tell people it's edited like a horror film right yeah and like it, from start it, to finish when it goes horror at the end it's suspenseful. Yeah, and because you don't want to see the Myers, what's her uh, name, character, get killed before they get there. And it's like using like the same editing techniques that have been like, like applied like throughout the rest of the mm-hmm. film. So it's like, oh, theoretically, you think back on the rest of the film, and it's like, oh, this was like kind of shot and edited almost like a horror film at the it time. Was, yeah, definitely. And it's got a, it's got the trope of starting at the end and going back and catching up to itself, which mm-hmm. you won't realize at all. You'll think there was some crazy Hollywood thing at the beginning. And then you get to the end, you're like, Oh, this is where we, Oh, the, the mm-hmm. best way of doing that. Oh, this is where we started. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think my, my biggest fear with this movie is it fading into obscurity. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, uh, 20th Century Fox owns the rights to this movie. This ain't one Disney's gonna be all happy about. I don't. I don't think Disney is ever gonna re-release this one. Mm-hmm. I. I think once the rights lapse that Criterion, I. I think that's it. Not unless they change their mind and release a double pack with this and Myra Beckenridge, but that's a conversation for another day. We have hope. They are putting out speed and heat on 4K Ultra HD. So I'm like, okay, they're doing something over there. I'm, I, I, I mean, but were those in the works before they fully took over? And they're like, let's just put some money out there. And those movies are also like the safe bets, right? Right. Those movies are the ones that it's like, as long as people own like a machine that plays movies, people True. are going to buy heat. And speed. I didn't even think they'd go with those though. That's the thing. I thought they were swearing off 4k unless it was I, marvel or disney princess or i don't even Pixar. remember the last time i bought like a four, i bought like the the like the like un unholy trinity of like the last of the 20th century fox like blu-ray releases of like jojo rabbit uh mm-hmm. ready or not and okay. 
I actually managed to find and acquire a hidden life on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. Wow. Which, okay. which, which everyone's like, oh, I'll just wait for the criterion for that one. And I was like, I don't think that one's going to happen. Right, right. But hey, I thought like Warner Brothers would never lend out stuff. And now Criterion, Scream Factory, like they're mm-hmm. so never I, say that, never. But that only changed within the last year. Right. Because uh, was, aren't, yeah, they, two, aren't they doing ago. away with the archive line? No, um, they that. So there's been a lot going on with that. What they got rid of was the WB shop. The WB shop and Warner Archive are two separate things. Um, there is also so Amazon is now the front for WB shop for mm-hmm. Warner Archive. Warner Archive is a sect of print on demand titles. Well, although the Blu-rays aren't BDRs, they still do a small press runs of them. So that's mm-hmm. why you'll find them going out of stock a lot because they haven't. They'll need to press more. Amazon is an approved. Warner Archive Replicator. So anything you can go BBC stuff that's uh, on demand or Warner Archive, things like that, Amazon has its own facility where they can print those and put them out. So is mm-hmm. a site called moviezing.com. Mm-hmm. They also are approved uh, with that. So they will also have those. They just took down the storefront. They're going through Amazon. It's probably saving money there. But as far as I know, they're not getting rid of... I still... I still have contact with my rep and they haven't told me anything about shutting down shop because they have a laundry list of restorations uh, that Warner constantly goes for and they might as well put out a cheap Blu-ray while they're at it instead of just streaming. So I don't see that line dying. Watch tomorrow. Yeah. We'll get news that's shut, up, shut yeah. down. It's shutting but, down tomorrow. <laughs> but that's the thing because like everybody freaked out with WB Shop. I'm like, that's not Warner Archive. That's where the main place where you would buy. That's just the shop. But now yeah. it's through Amazon. And my review copies now come uh, have been coming like the week they come out rather than like they usually sometimes I get them like a couple weeks before they'd come out. Now they come out like, so I'm like, okay, that's because of the change, but um, all the thin man movies aren't on Blu-ray yet. And you know, they're restoring all of them. And uh, cause they, the second one just came out, but I, I think they will be around for a bit. I can't see them shutting down <laughs> that. And it's very popular too. So, and, and for the longest time, like I'm all for like, preservation of like mm-hmm. movies for the longest time beyond the valley of the dolls was like inaccessible it was like an out of print 20th century fox like dvd up until right. recently when criterion got it and that just kind of like leads me into the conversation of like these lesser known movies mm-hmm. it's like the, the, there has to be a better way to preserve these and right. make them more accessible yeah, rather than just on and off of services yeah like the- yeah rather than another re-release of speed and heat Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the, the, yeah these are the ones I. Yeah. I definitely care more about these ones that you got to keep alive somehow. And like every time, even if they come out bare bones, I'm like, I re- I have to review them. I have to give them a zero on extras. But I'm like, the extra is that we got it. Like that's I've that's where I've come to now. The, the extra, the extra- is that you can buy it. The extra is that a Hidden Life Blu-ray exists. They made like 10 copies, but they exist. They exist, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. And this, yeah, this movie luckily has a criterion. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they can renew. the. I know those licenses tend to go for like five years is like the minimum, but... I know, I know some are starting to lapse 
I know Rosemary's baby just lapsed. Yep. Paramount's uh, like, hey, we're going to do that ourselves now. <laughs> I oh, are they? Have yeah, they they're, they're putting out. Yeah, they're uh, Rosemary's baby and Don't Look Now are getting like these like eight dollar bargain bin type Paramount releases coming out soon. So. I, I always wonder how the masters are going to be on that compared to Criterion's because Criterion uses. Uh, you think they're they the have same? To, yeah, they have to okay those masters with Paramount. That's why a lot of times you'll see like a Shout Factory release and they're like, why didn't they do anything? It's like, because they couldn't get approval. Because they to couldn't. It. <laughs> and so when they release them, those are the masters for the studio as well. So See, see, I'm all for like, oh, we're just going to take the Criterion Master and release it for like $8. Right, yeah. That just gets more people to get it. Rather the, than the important like thing a, is having the movie. Like that's yeah, Is yeah. having it preserved, yeah. Especially in the horror community. Like mm-hmm. I was talking about earlier, like From Beyond just went out of print. It's like, yeah. there are a ton of horror movies. Like this last year, like Shout Factory alone had like a bunch of titles go out of print. Like mm-hmm. uh, Texas Chainsaw 2 went out of print. From Beyond obviously went out of print. Right. Slumber Party Massacre 2 and 3 notoriously been out of print. The Sleepaway Camp sequels as well. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. Um, I did not know that until recently. <laughs> it's Yeah, it sucks. Um, I don't know why those... Maybe they're not as big as sellers as we think, but... I found out why those went out of print. Oh. So, the ones that have been going out of print are MGM. Oh, okay. uh, Are MGM Shout Factory re-releases, but they're MGM licensed under 20th Century Fox. Oh. So, I was like, fuck. (laughs) Oh, God. So, I... I know it's dumb to complain about the home media market, but I feel like the Disney Fox buyout has like kind of like it might be too early to tell, but it might have suffered a catastrophic blow. Oh, all because people got excited about uh, Wolverine high fiving Shang Chi. I I was like, you guys, I'm like, I don't think you realize there's a lot more at stake than that. Yeah, it's so much more than just oh, we got these Marvel characters back and. All the Star Wars are under one. It's like that's 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 nitpicky stuff. Like that is not. See, and I think Warner Brothers probably looks at that and goes like, "Oh, let's not fucking do that." Yeah. Like we know people are gonna want to buy all these Dark Castle films, like in a grand, like special edition. Right. Why don't, why don't we license them out? Yeah, and I mean, there's they're seeing the benefits from them. The one one of the ones I think should open up with Lionsgate. They've been very hard hard no on that, and then they had their Vestra line, and then that is uh, dead, and then alive, and then uh, like it, it died, and then it came back as like budget Blu-ray titles two that I was that were really two. pretty well done. But I I, I have both of them, and yeah. I was looking at Shivers, and I was like, this was eleven bucks. Yeah. I was like, how? They used the cheap plastic case and then But then I bought Maximum Overdrive and that was like thirty. Yeah. I don't yeah, and they have the same amount of like quality bonus features. I'm like, like what'd you like like I was genuinely confused. Like I was like tweeting out, I was like, Y'all might want to buy these because these are like stupid cheap and like just yeah. as good as like previous releases. Right. Yeah. I did yeah, that and shivers and then nothing. And I've heard they were working on the Wraith, and the Wraith on two B has a HD transfer i did that up uh it was one of my episodes a few months back but mm-hmm. like i'm like hmm but just what's the hold up people will buy these trust me. yeah lionsgate is uh that they're also the reason that uh we haven't ever got a screen box set that has all four entries because uh i believe stars owns and anchor bay on the rights to the first three well yeah that that was um yeah the first three so there was a 
when Miramax or something, Miramax and Dimension busted out of Disney, but broke out. So the rights went like this place called Echo Bridge bought a lot, Lionsgate mm-hmm. bought some, and then Scream Four was a Weinstein Company movie with the Dimension mm-hmm. logo. And I think now they finally got together, but no one put out a set with it. I think they're all under Lionsgate somehow, which Lionsgate owns. Lionsgate owns stars who had bought Anchor Bay years before. So it's like Lionsgate stars, Anchor Bay. Listen, Lionsgate, you got until January to release a good screen box set. There you go. I, you, I think they'll dip it into 4K. They'll, they'll, they'll do a... I, they, I, yeah, I think they'll do. I think they'll do something with the new movie coming out. But it sucks that it takes like a new movie to get like releases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, and then it's like you look at stuff like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls that didn't get a release for like years, and it's like, who is like, like there are companies like trying to save these movies, but the ones that are owned by these big studios, they're just letting die. Like Disney's not ever gonna re-release My Rebecca and Ridge. Yeah, well, and and one of the dangers too is the Shout Factory and Anchor Bay are getting more prestigious titles offered to them, and so <laughs> when do the smaller ones get left in the dust with the attraction of putting out big name titles like i mean they're anchor bay has been putting out like their pitch black they've got legend coming to them uh mm-hmm. shop factor of course they did deer hunters 4k ultra hd debut like universal didn't want to put that out that one seemed super odd to me that i was like why didn't the studio do this that'd be like somebody putting out like the Godfather in 4K, but it's not Paramount themselves. Severn Films presents The Godfather, like, which, <laughs> which you know, The Godfather in 4K is gonna happen. Oh, it's, it's next next year. Yeah. Oh, is it confirmed already? Yeah. I'm, uh, for the uh, 60th anniversary. I'm a huge Godfather Six, fan. So, so, so I will buy like 50th. every release of those movies. Oh yeah, I lo- I love them. I enjoyed watching the new cut of Godfather three a few mm. months back. I'm but yeah, yeah, that was crazy that that one happened. Yeah, there's a randomly like, oh, yeah, okay. just just like oh, Francis Ford Coppola like in in pandemic like finished a new cut of Godfather Part Three, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, like okay, thank you. And it's like they let him do that, and they let him do the final cut of like Apocalypse Now on 4K, right. and it was like, where is all this coming from? I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take it. Um, but it's these lesser known movies, yeah. which is like which part of the reason why I wanted to talk about Valley of the Dolls right. was to talk about like this like preservation of like because for years this movie was inaccessible and right. it might be inaccessible in a couple years. Right, pick it up while you can get it at a regular price that you probably might think is too high, but it won't be. <laughs> Listen, next fifty percent off sale, it should be in everyone's carts. Yeah. Yeah, I made so like I I never made the sick is so when I when I lived in Los Angeles I did Blu-ray and DVD testing and we had Criterion. Uh mm-hmm. and when they first went to Blu-ray, I it was really cool. I got to beta test the menus and stuff. And then <laughs> one of the first titles they put out was The Third Man. And we did oh. so we did so much work on that. I was just like, I'll get it someday. Oops. Nope. Oops. Oh shit. Oh, there's a lot of movies like that that I just wouldn't give me. I, I, I'd see them in my sleep because I worked on them so much. And then, but luckily, the third man got a 4K restoration overseas, and I got one of those, and it looks better than what the Criterion one did. But that was years of going, oh my gosh, eBay, does someone have it for less than $130? See, uh, I 
lived in Phoenix for a little bit and the record store I went to, they used to have all the high value items like in a glass cabinet. Mm -hmm. They had a new inch shrink wrap copy of a man who fell to earth. Mm. And I was like, and I looked at the price tag. It was like $300. I was like, Oh, just cause it's listed for that. Doesn't mean someone's paying for that. I, you know what? But at the same time in that same cabinet, there was a $30 used copy of the shout factory, Texas chainsaw tube with the slip okay. cover. There you go. Oh, so I was like, I want that. Got it. <laughs> and that's out of print now. Speaking of like rare movies, like Alyssa No movies, out of print stuff with Beyond the Valley of Dolls, and this one got a blue release I was excited about a couple years ago. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen the Apple? I haven't actually. So no. There this narratively, Beyond the Valley of Dolls reminds me of the Apple. It's kind of got the but it's it's a science fiction musical. <laughs> but okay. it's very much it's about it's about a little like couple duet couple that enter this futuristic competition that's uh skewed for this band called like the bim to win all the time they're like they're the biggest band uh and it's for some people and they fare well against them so they get welcome into the company of the bim and producer people and they kind of like it's like the girls in this movie when they go to that party in la and that's the their lives forever change from that moment because they all meet someone there and they all start going there's I guess Harris too but he's more of a result of the Kelly's actions um but mm-hmm. they go to this party this couple their lives forever change like she gets really involved with the music with Bim he feels wants to be true to his music she starts seeing this guy from the Bim people and he's just yeah out gets winds up so, alone so this is valley of the dolls in space it is well it's not space it's earth in the future oh okay but, but um but still into that idea still, and it's got some uh wonderfully awful songs and dance choreography in it so, so you know what i almost like compared beyond the valley of the dolls to like also as well mm-hmm. i almost like take out the drugs and the sex and the violence and mm-hmm. uh it's also like like Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Very like much right so. down to like the female band in like a satire movie, like making fun of like this big lavish like lifestyle industry. Yeah, for and sure. At, and, it, and it sounds like that with Josie and the Pussycats and the Apple, you just kind of see like that lingering effect that like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls has. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, Nicholas Wynn and Refn has gone on record saying like beyond the valley of the dolls was like one of the main inspirations behind the neon demon oh okay yeah and tarantino obviously loves this movie you look at once upon a time in hollywood and see that oh yeah well i think also like to your point here like with those later movies like this movie it the look of it is so specific of its time like so in the moment stylistically and technically that a period piece made to set in this area would like making this movie like now to make it then would look almost identical. Like I think mm-hmm. it's that strong of flavor that mm-hmm. you would not be able to tell the two apart. Yeah. It, it's, it's aged like that. Well, like mm-hmm. you, you look at the criterion restoration of this and you're like, man, this looks like a movie that could be made today. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And you got people that remind like um, Dolly Reed look like, like a proto Cheryl Lee from mm-hmm. like Twin Peaks and and then I thought her her aunt look I if I were making a movie about Beyond the Valley of Dolls I cast Allison Brie as the aunt because I was like oh my gosh you were giving me those vibes yeah and the and the kind of oh, look yeah. plus we've seen her in those that kind of hair from Mad Men so mm-hmm. a little bit but yeah it's 
so much here. There's even brilliant little joke, like humor with this. I mentioned the editing. There's a part right after the one gets the abortion or goes to the doctor and it cuts to the one pouring the pancake batter into the frying pan. And I was like, oh, my. you're like, that's <laughs> terrible that I'm laughing at that. <laughs> it's a dark satirical humor. But oh, my gosh, I was like, OK, OK, yeah. It's it's good. It's a movie that very much knows what it is and like wears its heart on its right. sleeve. It's a genuine piece of filmmaking. It doesn't feel like they were out to impress anyone. Right. It if, was, if you ever wondered yeah. what happened to those sixties Robin and Catwoman costumes, they make an appearance in it as well. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> lots of stuff. Best Batman and Robin movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh, and then uh, we were talking about the the Manson murders, but um, they mm-hmm. uh, Ebert said he based the Z Man off of Phil Spector, who he never met Phil Spector, just off the thing is Phil Spector, and Phil Spector actually killed someone. Your Alana Clarkson, um, who was in the Deathstalker movies and uh, stuff, and so that's kind of oddly prophetic. I, I always say that like Hollywood has open secrets. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like the when like the Kevin Spacey Brian Singer stuff came out, like uh, I when I moved out there, that was a shocker to find out. Uh, that was like 2005, and I'm like, the, people aren't doing anything about this. Yeah, so you, like, like oh. the Hollywood Reporter, like Scott Rudin piece. You're like, I'm like, I lived in Southern California my whole life. I heard that years ago. Like everybody, <laughs> you talk to anybody at USC about Brian Singer, they know someone abused by. Yeah. It. Like it, I was like, so yeah. I like to think that like Ebert probably knew something that we didn't. Right. Or that people at the time just knew something that he didn't. Right. I mean, it, so, so yeah, I'd like to think that like Ebert was not dumb. He was like, no. he's genuinely like was one of the smartest voices in film criticism. He's right. somebody who's, he's somebody who's like growing up, like following his film criticism. He's somebody that I like, I miss very dearly, like to this mm-hmm. very day. And it's, I think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> He may not have been fully informed, but he knew of things, and he knew. Yeah, to, yeah. he he was like, "I'm gonna plant this idea. <laughs> I'm gonna inception it." Right? Yeah, that's what he did. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. but uh, did God, God rest his soul? But uh, hell of a movie, hell of a movie. This is one that I always just tell people: throw it on, get drunk, get high, or just vibe. You'll have the time of your life with it. What else? This is where we talk about anything we may have read, watched, listened to, maybe wrote, produced, put out there in the world, too. So, Raina, what else? I can actually talk about this because I'm not under embargo anymore. Mm-hmm. I had I had just watched uh, In the Earth, the mm-hmm. new Ben Wheatley pandemic horror film. Listen, I'm sure you've heard of how weird that movie is. It It's, it's weirder than you think. Awesome. It, it's out there. Like, uh, I saw this and I was like, I was like, once people get more access to this and see it, like it's going to have like a mother type reception where it's like, I think it's going to split people. Uh, that's the best kind. That's yeah. how you know the film is what it, it the divisive films are great. The, everything's safe, boring. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, w- I, I will say like some stuff doesn't work for me, but it's mm-hmm. like, damn, I'm glad movies like this are still getting made. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially in our algorithm made movies. <laughs> It with big studios and stuff nowadays, like it's nice mm-hmm. to see people, filmmakers like him, still taking chances. It, you know, yeah, I like I like movies that swing for the fences hard, even mm-hmm. if they don't land. Right, like 
like shit one of my favorite releases this year is Zack Snyder's Justice League just because of like like listen say what you want about the man's vision the man's mm-hmm. vision he fully commits to it right and it's a superhero movie that didn't feel like a product it felt like an actual movie that it was like i can't help but respect it <laughs> yeah i know it, it definitely i was on the i was on the pro snyder justice league i watched it. i was like okay this there's a lot of fat on this thing but there's something really good when you break it down like i i i was into it I, I think I think that in particular is going to be a movie that people talk about like years from now, like 10 or 15 years and go like, no, this is a really fucking good movie. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. And yeah, ben Wheatley, he made the movie where I'm like, you don't have to watch Serbian film. Just watch Kill List. You'll get the same. <laughs> Ooh, I have never seen Kill List. Oh, you never seen Kill List? No. Have you seen see, a Serbian film? Yeah, unfortunately. Kill List is the better. Uh, well, it's not. You, when you see Kill List, you'll understand why I made that. Okay, that reference. I'll, I'll, I'll have to watch it because my Ben Wheatley exposure before this was a uh, Free Fire and okay. uh, and uh, High Rise. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I was just reminded by a fellow film critic, they're like, "Yo, he's doing the Meg too," and I was like, "Fuck!" After the way In the Earth turned out, I'm like, "It's sort of on board." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I didn't even see the first one, but oh, yeah. y'all, but you already got me hooked for the second one. There you go. Yeah, I'm there. I'll, I'll do my research. We'll get my what else I'm going to bring up because um, sometimes when you watch, I do what else mention one thing, can't watch it all, but uh, Invincible on Amazon. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. And really good. Really great. I read I had read the comic book like years and years ago. Like I was getting into when I was uh, first reading like The Walking Dead. That was always advertised in there and stuff. And I picked it up. I never kept with it much. But this cart- cartoon is pretty strong. So so I had like gone to a local Goodwill and mm-hmm. they had the first three volumes of Invincible there. And I bought them because I knew like in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like Seth Rogen and like. Seth, like his like writing partner like doing like a new like series on this i'm like i might as well get this and read it and i i, I like the book i mm-hmm. i think they're i think they're fun i can't i can't wait to check this series out oh yeah it's hardcore like for people who don't know it it is a cart you know it's a cartoon but it's really bloody you know really adult and uh, if you like the boys uh um this is right a good companion piece to that. So I know a lot of people like the boys and that that's a good companion piece. Um, but it's yeah, really fun to watch every, every week. I think they dropped the first three episodes, like when it first started, but I, I watched it. I was like, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> it's, it's good to see Seth Rogen like branch out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, with like, especially like kind of coming off of his last series, which was a preacher. Yeah. Which is like another out there comic. Yeah. He's doing like comics that aren't just like, I mean, this is fringe stuff. Like uh, this mm-hmm. is super. I was gonna say not superheroes, but then I'm like right here with a superhero comic. But, but yeah, fringe stuff, which I, I kind of missed. Which I did a couple weeks ago. Did an episode on the losers, and mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, that's kind of what's disappeared into the streaming services. These fringe comic books. It feels like the OOS was really going after those because I think a lot of smaller studios just wanted comic book properties, and those would be cheaper to buy to produce movies yeah. for, and like now those have floated into streaming services or it, television every studio wanted their sin city yeah that's yeah their sin city yeah definitely that's probably where it came from definitely mm-hmm. it's ironic because the movie i almost picked for this uh episode i almost picked the dolph Lundgren punisher oh wow yeah 
yeah, just because uh, just because I've been wanting to revisit that myself, just because somebody's like, "Yo, remember where comic book movies are like this?" And I was like, "Fuck, I haven't seen that in years." <laughs> I miss those days too. Like, oh gosh, I remember the days when my Captain America was the oh, what was his name? The Salinger. Oh, oh gosh, when that was God, that, that movie. awful direct-to-video movie. Didn't gosh. they make that in the Fantastic Four like '90s, like live action, just so they could retain the rights? Well, they actually made the Captain America one genuinely, and then the Fantastic that one didn't do well. The Fantastic Four they just heard something so they could get the rights, and they never never planned to release it. But you can find I have a I have a copy on my hard drive of it. So you can find it if you're looking around. So they did what they did with the 2015 film. They just put cobbled something together. So so that they can hang right. on to the rights. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Uh, comic books. Yeah. <laughs> comic book movies. Comic book let movies. me let me rephrase that. <laughs> Gotta love them. Gotta yeah, love for them. real. All right. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for jumping aboard, Reina, and bringing such a terrific film to talk to the table. There's so much to talk about. Like I didn't even look at my notes most of the time. It's great. Before we go, uh, where can people find your work and keep up with you online? <laughs> So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JFC Doomblade. You can also find my writing published pretty regularly at bloody disgusting and screenqueens.com and a couple outlets that I can't really say yet. And you can follow my podcast horror and session at horror and session on Twitter. And we are available on Apple podcasts and Spotify podcasts. Excellent. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Written work on whysoblue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. But until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film chatter. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.